0: Welcome to the Chosen People radio program, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this program you'll hear inspiring stories, learn about Messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Now let's welcome our hosts, Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and Robert Walter, our New York Regional Director.
1: Shalom everyone and welcome to the Chosen People. And as we mentioned last week, we're actually taking a little pause from our study of the Torah portions to bring you some very exciting news and interviews from Mitch and our staff in Israel. So I'm gonna hand it over to Mitch now and he's gonna introduce our guest for today.
2: Shalom, Bobby, and thank you. I'm in Israel today, actually in Jerusalem. I'm sitting in our Jerusalem Messianic Center, this beautiful facility that God gave us 13 years ago. It's in what's known as the German colony. We're probably about a 20 minute walk uh, to the old city, uh, the beautiful, charming, almost magical old city. And I've been here for a few days connecting with our staff. We have uh, over 25 staff members in Israel, and they're doing a great job. And so uh, our guest in just a moment, uh, Robin, is going to share with you uh, something about uh, the work that the Lord's been uh, leading her to do. And uh, you'll hear a a lot more uh, and know a lot more about what's going on in Israel from Robin, and you'll also be able to pray more fervently and more effectively. So, welcome, Robin. You're here in Jerusalem, aren't you?
3: Yep, in Jerusalem.
2: But you want to be in Tel Aviv.
3: (laughs) I do, I do. So,
2: uh, how far away is Jerusalem from Tel Aviv?
3: If there's no traffic, about an hour, but since there's always traffic, (laughs) closer to two hours.
2: And uh, so... Pre-COVID, you were in Tel Aviv and doing ministry there, and by God's grace, a wonderful place opened up for you to live in uh, Jerusalem, and you have been here and more involved in our work in Jerusalem, but still heavily involved in, in Tel Aviv. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you came to faith, and then why don't you start telling us a little bit about what God's doing uh, in the greater Tel Aviv area.
3: So I grew up in what Mitch would often call the Holy Land, yeah. Brooklyn. There you go. <laughs> a real Brooklyn girl. And I grew up going to synagogue, keeping the holidays, keeping kosher. And in high school and college, I became a little bit more of a wild child. I still kept kosher, but I was also partying and getting high and running a bit wild. And I ended up getting sick and having to move back home to my family. Mm. And while I was staying with my family, um, my mom had a friend from high school who was Jewish. And after high school, had come to believe in Yeshua, Jesus, as the Messiah. And so my mom's friend would come over and tell me that she wanted to talk to me about the Messiah. And I would tell her that I didn't want to hear anything from the New Testament. I was sure that was where anti-Semitism came from. And if she wanted to share with me, it had to be from the Hebrew scriptures. So she would share with me a prophecy and I would get angry at her. (laughs) And she was really amazing person because she never got upset or ruffled. She would just laugh and say, okay, you've had enough for today. Bye-bye, I'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) And she would leave and pray for me. And each day she planted a little seed of something of um, messianic prophecy. And one day she shared Isaiah 53 and clearly a picture of the one who suffers and dies for us. And I became completely furious because I thought... I told you no New Testament, this is clearly Jesus, you're sneaking in New Testament and trying to confuse me. So I told her I didn't trust her anymore and she could never come over again. And she said, okay, as long as you read one more thing, I won't come over again. And she handed me my family Bible from the shelf and I read Isaiah 53 on my family Bible and I immediately knew that Jesus was the Messiah and my life was changed. And after that, I read the New Testament, and by the time I was done, I knew this is a Jewish book, Jesus loves us, and I'm called to Israel to tell my people about their Messiah.
2: Wow, that, that was quite something. And so, uh, give me a little bit more of the journey, Robin. How did you end up in Israel, and uh, is this your first time ministering in Israel, or perchance did you do something beforehand?
3: So when I was a younger believer, I went back to school and got very involved with the campus ministry, in varsity. And so the first time I lived in Israel, I moved here in 1994, and I was doing campus ministry through a partnership with university. And I was working on the Hebrew University campus mostly here in Jerusalem, um, but also a bit throughout the country. And then after a few years, the Lord brought me back to the States, and after— to keep a long story short, after some time, I knew it was time to come back into full-time Jewish ministry. I was always sharing with Jewish friends and Jewish people, but I knew it was time to come back to Jewish ministry. I knew it was to be with Chosen People Ministries, and uh, I first—I think I told you I would give you two years in New York, and then I had to be back in Israel. Oh,
2: <laughs> that's what, after two years, I was going to give you the big bonus, you know, just to try and keep <laughs> you here. <laughs>
3: Um, I ended up spending about seven years, not because I was just in New York, but because the opportunity to help develop the backpacker ministry that uh, Chosen People Ministries has to Israelis post army who are traveling around the world and lead short-term teams. But then there was the time that the Lord really spoke to my heart seven years ago and said it's time to move back to Israel. And I didn't say it out loud to anyone. But a month later, Mitch, you asked me and to up to this room and actually said can I talk to you about something? And <laughs> it was about uh, moving back and being the director of our ministry in Tel Aviv.
2: Wow. Well, that was something the Lord really put together. We were praying for uh, someone to really lead the charge in the greater Tel Aviv area, because Tel Aviv is the largest city in Israel, isn't it? And it's the youngest, really. And you were just so perfect for that position. And uh, whenever... Uh, Michael Zinn, our director, and I talked about it. We always, we just always came back to you, and uh, we weren't sure if you were sensing God's call, but little did we know that the Lord was preparing your heart. And so, we're so grateful for your ministry. And we have a great team, and uh, we're focused in the greater Tel Aviv area, and especially at the Ramat Gan Center. So, tell us about the ministry of the Ramat Gan Center and what is Ramat Gan, where is it, and why are we there, and what are we doing?
3: So Ramat Gan is its own city, but it is touching Tel Aviv. We are literally a seven-minute walk from the main Tel Aviv train and bus station. Um, it is one of the main places some people work. There's a, The neighborhood we're in is called the Borsa, and there's many offices there. But it's also where many of the young adults and young adult families in the Messianic community once they have a child, they can't afford the price of housing in Tel Aviv. They can't afford the extra bedroom. You know, you can only afford to live in Tel Aviv if you put like four people in a room. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's now considered the most expensive city in the world. Oh, and so Ramat Gan is where you go to live if you want the life of Tel Aviv and you want to go out in Tel Aviv, but you want to have affordable rent. And so it's the perfect place for us to be because it's where all the young adults are living. Um, it is a bit more affordable, and we're right where people who are living in Tel Aviv can still get there easily by transportation or even on foot, so it's a perfect location. Um, we have an amazing team working out of Vermont Gan Center, which means and our ministry is so relational, so it means each person on the team is bringing their different ideas, dreams, vision to the programs we have, so we host. Friday night, Kabbalat Shabbat, and many of the Israelis who live in Tel Aviv, they don't want to go home to their parents every week because they live in Tel Aviv to go out Friday night and Saturday night. So um, we host a Kabbalat Shabbat, and before they go out to the clubs, they'll come with their friends who are believers to our uh, Shabbat dinner. They'll hear a little bit of a testimony from the front, but mostly it's in conversations around the table, realizing the people here are different, that we have opportunity to build relationship and to share about Yeshua with non-believers. We have Holocaust survivor events in the Ramat Gan Center, and it's amazing to see more and more staff really getting alongside that and building relationship with some of these lovely elderly people. Um, we have women's ministry, we have worship nights, big worship nights, and we have coffee house music nights where we have a believing and a non-believing band play. Mm. And it's just amazing. We also do a lot of events outside of the center because young adults like adventure and activity. So, we'll do like in two weeks, we have coming up a kayaking day where we're also stopping at a biblical site. And people feel really comfortable to bring their friends who aren't believers. And it's been amazing to see at every event that um, we've had, there's a couple of people who don't know the Lord and who are willing to have conversations and ask people how they came to believe and um, what difference it makes in their life.
2: Would you tell me about a a recent uh, experience you've had maybe at one of the Shabbat dinners in Ramat Gan? And describe what happens there, if you can, quickly. The Shabbat
3: dinners are amazing because the people coming are, um, you know, it's a big uh, young adult and single population in the Tel Aviv area. So the people coming are young singles, they're young families, sometimes with small children. Um, They're bringing their friends and neighbors, which is really wonderful. And so we do the traditional prayers for the Sabbath. And... Then there's, you know, just the time of eating and talking at big long tables and there's just wonderful energy. It's a great atmosphere. And also people in Tel Aviv really love culture and cultural experiences. So sometimes if we have visiting guests from other countries, we'll have even a culture segment where we'll have some singing in another language and dresses that, you know, that are traditional for say Korea or Japan. Um, And that really adds a nice element. And the rest of the evening usually is just casual conversation where really good things happen. We always pray about who too who and sits on which tables. Um, but occasionally, if we know we have a lot of people who don't know each other, we'll also do some mixer games at that point to get to know each other.
2: Uh, at the heart, what do you think is the spiritual question young adult seekers in Israel are asking?
3: I think young adults are always searching for meaning and purpose. Mm. And sometimes they know that's got a spiritual connection and sometimes they don't. But as you begin to explore that, it becomes more obvious. That's But I think meaning and purpose of life.
2: Yeah, They, they, they want to talk to somebody about serious issues. I don't find young Israeli adults frivolous. Uh, I find them fun and interesting and engaging. and but I also find maybe because of the army that they're not afraid of asking the deep questions about the meaning of life,
3: yep, and they're not they're also not afraid to share deeply pretty quickly. Like you can have very relevant, deep, important life issue conversations. With someone you just met, and the atmosphere of the shabbat really allows for that because yeah. it is that warm, uh, welcoming. There's just, and we always pray that more than the good food, more than the good conversation, more than what we say everyone who walks in would experience God's presence in some way, wow. that he would be present there. And um, I, I think there's really something to that. It's, That's it's great. a wonderful atmosphere.
2: Wow, Robin, thank you. It, it's exciting to see what God's doing. And friends, you'll want to open up a map of Israel and look at Tel Aviv and just put a little pin there uh, on your map, uh, on your computer or phone, uh, for Ramat Gan, R-A-M-A-T-G-A-N, Ramat Gan, And uh, pray for the ministry of Chosen People uh, Ministries in Ramakgan and pray for Robin. And so God bless you, Uh, Robin. Thank you so much for sharing. And uh, I think we're going to have another show where you can uh, share a little bit more. And we look forward to that as well. God bless you.
0: Thank you. You too. With all the political and civil instability, financial uncertainty, and the erosion of religious liberty, it's no surprise that some might think we're approaching the beginning of the end. But are we truly living in the last days? The real place to find out is in the Word of God. And to help you learn what the Bible says about the future in the last days, we'd like to send you a free copy of Dr. Charlie Dyer's book, What Does the Bible Say About the Future? The end times are an important topic of study. And with a biblical understanding of the future, you'll be powerfully equipped to share the truth with someone else today. So, request What Does the Bible Say About the Future when you visit us online at chosenpeople.com radio. Once again, that's chosenpeople.com radio.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. And right now, we're going to hear from a woman named Monique. Like many of us, she felt the toll of trying to do everything all on her own even going so far as to think that she no longer needed God. But when she gave birth and lost control of the situation, everything changed.
4: My grandparents are Holocaust survivors from Germany. My grandfather was a survivor and he was also a liberator. He liberated Dachau, seeking justice for Nazi war crimes. I grew up in a Messianic Jewish home. For me, it was always very important to be Jewish. It was always very important to follow Jesus. I mean, we call him Yeshua when I was growing up. Being a good Jew is you follow the Messiah of Israel and you do what he says you're supposed to do. The thing that's always struck me about Jesus is like how down in the dirt he was in his life. You think about a Messiah who comes and we expect him to be this like big political figure and he's gonna, you know, defeat our enemies and he's gonna bring peace. And instead what the Messiah does is like, get down in the dirt and heal people's broken bodies. He was always concerned like fundamentally with people who had no money and no power. And I was always inspired by his example. I was also interested in In pursuing justice, I was also interested in going after big bullies as a lawyer by practicing law on behalf of people who have no money, who have no power, who are in situations where they're being abused. That's what I can do. I went to Thailand and uh, got drawn to an organization that was working on the human trafficking issue. So I was working with these social workers and investigators who were looking into cases of human trafficking. So what I ended up doing for months and months was just like sitting in a dark room looking at this like revolting footage of children being sold for sex in brothels to bring some measure of justice to the situation. I was just amazed to find that like, this was something that I had a capacity for um, and it was something that would get me out of bed in the morning and it was something that, it, it was something meaningful. When your life is going really well and like you're making lots of money and your career is flying high and you're in a great relationship and, you know, everything's good, like you don't need God. What, what do you need God for? Like, oh, I, I did all that. Like, I'm so smart and special. I did it. That's kind of the attitude that I had developed. I was so excited to be a mom and I hated being pregnant and I wanted him out of me. Got to the hospital, everything seemed to be going fine and I turned over and like started to fall asleep and the next thing I knew the room was filling up with nurses. They're coming in and like stabbing me in the thighs and um, trying to get my son's heart rate back up because his heart had stopped. And I started shaking from the medicine that they were giving me and they were they're taking apart the bed and they're shoving me down the hall. Within like 15 seconds, somebody hit a button on the wall and I heard on the intercom, code C, what just happened? Looking up at the the technician who had this like, put this mask on my face and I said, please just save my baby, please just save my baby. Boom, I was out. And then the next moment I wake up and they're like, congratulations, you're a mom. I see his little hands, you know, reaching out of the, the little plastic, you know, crib, and um, I didn't even see his face and I fell in love with him. And then immediately they start telling me everything that's wrong with him. Someone said the word genetic disorder. And so the next week, recovering from a C-section, separated from my baby, um, wondering if he was going to be okay, feeling just completely useless and uh, a nurse came in probably two days after he was born and she was just coming in to like take my temperature and blood pressure and she's like, how are you? And I just like burst into tears. She said, it's going to be okay. I said, I don't think it's going to be okay. I think something's really wrong with him. And uh, and I felt, I was at the One of the darkest moments of my life, I felt so helpless, and I cried out to God, and I was like, God, what are you doing? Why did this happen to me? Where are you? I just had the feeling of almost like someone putting their hand on my shoulder, just like this comforting, like, I'm here. Like, this sucks, and it hurts, and I'm here. I remember going to see him in the NICU, and he's in this little incubator, and he had all these like wires, and sensors, and he had an an IV in his arm, and he was like tiny and gray and shriveled. He was looked like a wrinkly old man, and he was having was like seeing him breathe. I could see his chest move, and I felt so helpless. Before I had my son, I kind of thought of myself as like a Wonder Woman. Like, oh, there's nothing I can't do. Women rock. Like, everything is just a challenge, an obstacle to be overcome. And when I had my son, I realized, like, I'm not in control. I'm not in control of my body. I'm not in control of what's happening with my child. This is all an illusion that I have control over really, like, anything. Like, fundamentally, like, I'm gonna have to depend on God. I literally, like, God gave me this child and he came out of me and I like had to give him right back and be like, here you go, keep him alive because I can't. You realize like I I literally can't even get it from one minute to the next without God's help. Five days later I got to leave the hospital with him, like in my arms, and put this tiny little person in the car seat and you know and go home. Thank God everything actually turned out to be okay. Every little issue that my son had, it all cleared up, you know, in the space of that week. I have felt in times of immense sorrow and struggle and suffering, God was there. When people are going through the most horrific trauma in their lives, God is there.
0: At Chosen People Ministries, our desire is to share the good news of Jesus, Yeshua the Messiah, with Jewish people in ways that are challenging, creative and compelling we can only accomplish this mission with the partnership prayers and financial support of listeners like you who have the desire and passion to reach out to jewish people all over the country and enrich their lives with a message of hope and salvation if that's you please connect with us online you'll find us at chosenpeople.com radio or you can connect with us through the mail or over the phone for those details and more visit chosenpeople.com/radio. Your partnership helps us continue the mission we started over 127 years ago. And for that, we say thank you. And we look forward to hearing from you soon.
1: You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if you'd like to learn more about this weekly program, or if you're curious to discover the deep and rich Jewish history of your faith, then let me encourage you to stop by our website. You'll find us online at chosenpeople.com slash radio. You know, the end times is one area of thought where people have lots of interesting opinions. And that's why we think it's important to know what God's Word says. So if you've found yourself wondering if we're living in the last days or if COVID-19 and the war in Ukraine are part of biblical prophecy, you'll want to request a copy of Dr. Charlie Dyer's book, What Does the Bible Say About the Future? Charlie answers 30 questions on Bible prophecy on Israel and the end times. And we'll send you this book for free when you reach out to us today. You can reach us online by going to chosenpeople.com radio. Or you can ask for the book when you write to us at Chosen People Ministries, 241 East 51st Street, New York, New York 10022. And once again, you can go online, chosenpeople.com/radio. And right now, let's wrap up today's message from Israel with the ironic benediction.
2: Ya'er er pana ve lecha vi huneca.
4: E sa donai lecha. shalom. The lecha shalom. The lecha shalom.